I am so excited and I just can't hide it. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Hard-Headed Sports Podcast. My name is Nick Ryan. Welcome to the podcast. This is episode one of HHS. Thank you so much for being here today with me. Somewhat of a New Year's resolution, this. Um, I feel like everybody has their New Year's resolutions. You know, Some people say, well, 2021 is going to be my year to go to the gym again. 2021 is going to be my year to eat more vegetables. 2021 is my year to finally pick up a new hobby. And, well, although this is technically, you can classify this as a new hobby, this is nothing really new to me. Uh, I've got four years of live radio experience, multiple years of sports journalism experience as well. So, um, this isn't necessarily new to me, but it is new in the sense that I'm just sitting here with a microphone talking to myself, essentially, as opposed to asking questions to players, coaches, excuse me, uh, or, you know, hosting a show in which I'm conversing with other people. It's just me and my camera. And that's a little bit unsettling to tell you the truth at this point. Uh, but you know, we're going to, we're going to buff out all the, uh, the dents and scratches of what it is to actually have a sports podcast. So I will greatly appreciate your patience uh, in this time as I learn, as we learn together and we form something that is even better than I think it has the potential to be. Um, and that maybe that's just some hard-headed cockiness, but uh, I'm super excited regardless to get to work, to talk some sports with you, and to basically have a blast. I mean, 2020, if there's anything that I took away from 2020, especially in the sports world, it's that the world needs sports. Sports is something that brings us all together. It, it brings so much joy, just so much emotion in general. It doesn't necessarily have to be joy. I know there are some people that probably woke up pretty peeved off this morning, depending on how their, their team played yesterday or Saturday, but we'll get all in. We'll get into all of that. There's no reason to delay it any further. Um, we've got a lot of wildcard stuff to talk about. Um, a super wildcard, not, not just your average wildcard weekend, super Wild card weekend, and then of course we've got some uh, rumors floating around the NFL. Deshaun Watson going to be traded, presumably the Miami Dolphins. Name that I've heard a couple of times. There was a great article by Woj, or excuse me, not Woj, but um, Mortensen of ESPN talking about a potential trade to the Dolphins for Watson. We're going to talk about that today. And, of course, National Championship is tonight. Can't forget about the National Championship. That uh, is going to come at the latter end of the show. Just a couple of words, nothing too fancy uh, about the National Championship. We've seen uh, this matchup before. Obviously, not the same exact players, but number one versus number three, Alabama versus Ohio State, two high-powered offenses, two teams that definitely know how to score. So it should be a shootout. We'll talk about all of that at some point in the show, but I want to start in Pittsburgh with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, the Pittsburgh Steelers, of course, losing to the Cleveland Browns by a score of 48 to 37 yesterday um, in a game that if you, if you had asked me which game this weekend would have been a blowout, this game was not high on my list <laughs> in terms of games that could have been blowouts, but nonetheless, uh, sit down at the end of the first quarter. I know I was a bad reporter. I did not sit the entire time. I did not watch the entire thing all the way through, and which kind of sucks because I sat down with my food, came home from uh, getting some dinner. I sat down with my food, and I <laughs> admittedly almost spit out my food when I saw the score of that game. So, um, I guess bad on me for going out and getting something to eat and missing the entire... <laughs> 
<laughs> nearly the entire uh, uh, plethora of, of Brown scoring uh, in the first quarter. But yeah, uh, that that game was probably one of the more pathetic displays of, of football I've seen um, out of a team that's supposed to be as good as the Pittsburgh Steelers were supposed to be. The Pittsburgh Steelers have a an ego problem. No, let me let me rephrase that. The the Pittsburgh Steelers have an image problem. And it's something that has developed over the last couple of seasons. And it's something that is fixable. And in fact, I think that the loss to the Cleveland Browns is the exactly the thing that is going to fix that. Um but obviously the Steelers starting the season 11 and 0, finished the season 12 and 4. So, um going only one for four in your last five games. The difference between the team that started 11-0 and the team that finished the season 1-4 is extremely different. Um, most most teams, I guess the perception when you're going on an undefeated streak and you lose that first game, it's like, oh, the pressure's finally off. I don't have to be perfect anymore. And that just wasn't the way with the Steelers. I feel like they added more pressure onto themselves. I feel like, again, the image and the ego problem is that they expected to be perfect with how they were playing. So when that first loss came, it was kind of just a, a, a shock to the neurons. Like, wow, we, we lost this. This can't be, this can't be true. And instead of, you know, coming back down to earth, they not only came back to earth, they hit down into the earth's core, like an asteroid. And it just wasn't pretty. I mean, you could kind of feel like this was coming with how the Pittsburgh Steelers played the last couple weeks of the season heading into the playoffs. But I don't think anybody would have predicted this, um, and it's because of an image problem. Um, when when you think about the Pittsburgh Steelers, and obviously this will apply to multiple generations, and multiple generations will have different answers, but when you think about the Pittsburgh Steelers, specifically the player personnel, who do you think of? When I was growing up, it was Heinz Ward, Jerome Bettis, um, Ryan Shazier, James Harrison, um... Troy Polamalu, that's a that's another big name. Guys that are really ne- not necessarily quiet, but calm in demeanor. And they were a hard-hitting football team. So hard-hitting. And of course, if you go back to the Steel Curtains in the 70s, I'm sure you can find, you can pick out a couple of names that are just as meaningful, especially in the history of that franchise. But you look at those names and then compare that to what you see today. Juju Smith-Schuster, Chase Claypool, James Conner, Ben Roethlisberger. And you notice, especially in the team's demeanor, it's vastly different. It doesn't feel like the Pittsburgh Steelers, which is why I say that the team has an image problem. Instead of shutting up, getting on the line, running you off the ball, and smacking you in the mouth, we're dancing on logos with TikTok, Um, we're talking smack before the game, of course, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster saying, the Browns are just the Browns. They're nothing but gray faces to me. And I'm sure that he has probably got a very fine image now in his head of who the Browns were, considering that the Browns spanked the Steelers so hard. <laughs> but you take a look at the difference between what you think the Steelers to be as a personality and what we saw on the football field this year, and it's so clear that the image problem just comes from the philosophy of the team. 
And that philosophy is something that is going to need to be fixed in the offseason, and it's something that should be fixed with this loss. There, There is a fine line with team chemistry and um, not, not only team chemistry, but with team personality. I think every team has a personality. It's important for a good football team to have a good personality. It's somewhere on the scale between having too much swagger to where it makes you unprepared for games and you you get yourself a bit of an ego and it affects your play on the football field and having just a cold personality and having nothing affect you and just playing uninspired football all the time. And I think that the Pittsburgh Steelers tilted way too much on the scale uh, of going for, for far too much swagger to the point that they were unprepared because um, they looked woefully unprepared on Sunday. And you know, this is the 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 culture is something that the Steelers in the past, especially in the past 4 or 5 years, it's something that they have controlled well. Um Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell, I think Mike Tomlin handled that situation with those players about as well as he could have. So it's almost really surprising to me that I'm explaining and, and, and sharing with you all my opinion that the Steelers have this image problem because they haven't. It's almost something that kind of popped up out of nowhere. And I guess with the refreshing of players, it's something that uh, Mike Tomlin hasn't really had time to deal with and, and, um, and experience with these new players and, and this team, especially because of the preseason being taken away uh, via COVID. But, you know, there, there's there's no excuse for how they played other than they just weren't prepared. Um, you, the Cleveland Browns coming in without their head coach, having not practiced pretty much the entire week and dropping 28 points on the supposedly one of the better teams in the NFL in the first quarter, the first 15 minutes. Uh, that speaks to unpreparedness. That speaks to uh, uh, an ego problem. It speaks to an image problem. And I'm speaking specifically of the offense. Now, the defense didn't play fantastic either. The number one pass rush defense in the NFL couldn't do anything to Baker Mayfield. And I mean absolutely nothing. I think maybe there was one or two sacks in the game. Actually, take a quick look. We'll, we'll come back to that. We'll see if we can get a stat for you there. But it was specifically, this image problem is specifically on the offense. Um, and, you know, Big Ben also didn't really do himself any favors yesterday uh, in terms of his perception. Is is the result of the game all on Big Ben? Because Big Ben had a had a an impressive game, but also a very bad game. I mean, as I read the stat line earlier, uh, 47 for 68. 501 yards, four touchdowns, four interceptions, QBR rating of 66.8, um, overall rating of 85.8. You, you should never have your 38-year-old quarterback throwing nearly 70 times a game. I'm sure that Big Ben is waking up painfully sore this morning. But, you know, Roethlisberger throwing for 500 yards of offense is impressive but completely unnecessary. And so that kind of makes the point extremely mute when you look at that in the context of the game. Your quarterback should not have to throw for 500 yards to even remain even slightly competitive in the ball game. Um, but the, the four turnovers, some of them were, were his fault. Um, I'd say probably two out of the four were his fault. Um, 
the the one bad one was the one that came late in the game to uh, Taki Taki, the one where he just completely missed Taki Taki, which has probably one of the best names in the NFL. That's just so much fun to say, uh, Taki Taki. Uh, but that interception to TT um, really was a bad one, and I think that's the one that people will remember. You know, because batted balls, dropped passes. You know, the, the receivers weren't re- necessarily helping Ben. All that much throughout the game. Uh, Eric Ebron had a couple of really bad drops that could have been uh, beneficial for the Steelers. I believe one of them happened in the end zone. But uh, Big Ben overall, you know, wasn't exactly accurate. He had a couple of balls batted down. And as I said, too, the interceptions were mostly his fault. The other two were batted around. And a lot of that was due to the inaccuracy of Big Ben. That's definitely not the game that he wanted to have going out um, if he does choose to retire. I think he's going to be back. He does have one year left on his contract. I think he'll be back. So the question the question itself is, with this image issue, do the Steelers completely tear up the offense? And my answer, again, is, is no. Uh, you know, this loss is something that I think is exactly what the Pittsburgh Steelers needed to become the Pittsburgh Steelers again. Um, the fact that they lost in a blowout fashion, and I know if you take a look at the score, you're going to say, well, they only lost by 11 points. That's not really much of a blowout. But you could, as I said, you could, you could tell that the Browns were kind of just letting their foot off the gas. They had such an insurmountable lead within the first 15 minutes of the game that uh, they really didn't necessarily have to play the toughest defense. And, of course, Baker Mayfield played incredible on offense. He had probably one of his best games as a professional. Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt both also had great games on the ground. So there really really wasn't much that the Browns had to do. Uh, They'll probably go to – Kansas City next week feeling a little bit more rested uh, than they would have been if it was a closer, more hard-hitting game. But the Pittsburgh Steelers, they're going to have to fix their image problem during the offseason. Otherwise, uh, the last couple of years of Big Ben and uh, his and his era in Pittsburgh is going to come to uh, a disappointing close. Uh so with that being said, I want to move around, uh, move to different games. Saints versus Bears, another game that I want to talk about today. Um, specifically, Mitchell Trubisky. There now, I I know there has been plenty of talk about Mitchell Trubisky by different, not only shows and ESPN and Fox, uh, but different channels on YouTube. Mitchell Trubisky is a very popular topic, so I'm sure I'm going to tread over some of the same uh, paths that multiple people have talked about over you know the past couple of months or so with the NFL season. But I was just really intrigued last night as to how Mitchell Trubisky would respond to the situation. And I came away saying, well, he didn't play good enough to win, but he wasn't exactly enabled to win. You know, I really feel like despite Mitchell Trubisky potentially having a a, a, a catalyst, a kickstarter to his confidence, having been benched for Nick Foles for a couple of weeks... You know, it looked like that revitalized him. It looked like it gave him a lot of confidence. And obviously, the Bears coming into the playoffs um, after not necessarily having a huge chance overcoming, I think, six straight losses, that in itself would give you some kind of confidence. 
that you are where you need to be. But I was watching the game, and I just do not think that Matt Nagy and um, the Bears' offensive coordinator, the name is escaping me. Let me just check this real quickly. Bears' offensive coordinator, uh, Bill Lazor. That's, that's the name. <clears throat> Bill Lazor. I'm watching the game called by Bill Lazor and Matt Nagy, and I I don't think they really trust. Uh, still, they didn't trust Trubisky enough to allow him to run the offense, and you saw it on on the broadcast. Uh, uh, Chris Collinsworth, I believe, or no, excuse me, it was uh, Jim Nance and uh, uh, and Tony Romo. Uh, both Nance and Romo talking about Trubisky being better with the play action. And that's something that, you know, they talk about and we saw it through the game because they ran the same boot play uh, to the tight end in the flat. I I lost count how many times. And I'm looking at that and I'm also looking at the lack of a running game from um, uh, David Montgomery. And I'm like, how, how, how in the hell is Mitchell Trubisky ever going to truly succeed with how the offense is being run. Now, obviously, um, there was a horrible dropped touchdown pass by Mims in the end zone. That would have made the day look a little bit better for Trubisky. Now, Trubisky, uh, 19 for 29, 199 yards, one touchdown that came at the very end of the game. I would say probably about 50 of those yards and the touchdown came in garbage time. That last that last drive where Trubisky was running around for his life and miraculously finding his receivers on the sideline. And of course that that touchdown came to Jimmy Graham in the final seconds of the game in which Jimmy Graham made a spectacular one-handed catch and promptly <laughs> ran into the locker room uh, for the end of the game. You know, the stat line isn't great, but he didn't play well enough to win. And you could just mark up the day as decent. But still, you take a look over the course of the game and you just say, this play calling is not really enabling Trubisky to go out and succeed. It felt very careful. It felt like... You know, the story, it felt like the story that had been spun about Trubisky and the coaches the entire year about Trubisky not having confidence, coaches not having trust. That feels like exactly what we saw on Sunday with uh, the Bears going against one of the better defenses in the NFL, the Saints, going absolutely mental on defense. I believe at one point during the season, they had allowed 20 points or less in five straight games. Um, yeah, New, or New Orleans Saints defense, uh, the stats uh, say for week 10 through 16, averaging under 200 passing yards a game, 55% completion rating, um, 20 sacks, 9 touchdowns to 6 interceptions. Um, that's, that was, it's a, it, it was a hot defense, and I feel like the coaches for Chicago left Trubisky out to dry. Out to dry. And again, I want to reiterate, he didn't play well enough to win. He played decent, but he just wasn't enabled to win. So, was that the last game that Trubisky would play in a Bears uniform? I think it probably was, and that sucks to say because I, I think he came back and he had renewed confidence and he wasn't really given a fair shake of the stick. 
I don't know where he'll go or if he'll go anywhere after this, but I think his time in Chicago is done. Chicago just seems so stuck. They need to make some kind of move. And if I'm the general manager of the Chicago Bears, I take a look at with the product on the field and say, look, Trubisky, even if he's getting it together, his time has kind of come and go. Kind, uh, kind, excuse me, kind of come and gone. And there's not really much that he can do in a Bears uniform. Now, Nick Foles isn't necessarily better. So then you turn to the draft or you turn to um, free agency. Gardner Minshew is probably going to have a job uh, or probably going to be in need of a job very soon. Assuming that the Jacksonville Jaguars select Trevor Lawrence number one overall. Um, Matt Ryan in Atlanta could be moving around. Uh, Matthew Stafford in Detroit could be moving around. Those are a couple of veteran quarterbacks that could use a team like Chicago, a team in Chicago that has very, very good defenses but seems to not be able to do anything with them. Um, so if you have a veteran quarterback that can sling it around and can game manage, Chicago might be set. Uh, and that veteran quarterback presence was something that we thought Nick Foles was going to bring to the team but just never really materialized into that. So you find the right quarterback, and Chicago could be set up very well. Um so I think I think Trubisky probably played his last game in a Chicago Bears uniform, and you know it, it wasn't necessarily to any fault of him. Again, he I, I, he did not play well enough to win, but he wasn't enabled to do that. Um, so kind of a, a bittersweet feeling and mixed emotions about Mitchell Trubisky. Um, obviously, you look back in that draft, and his drafts his draft slot was totally by far and away not very good. Uh, he should not have been drafted that high. He's definitely the worst quarterback out of the bunch that came out of that draft. But um, just just disappointing, I guess. If, if you're looking for one word to uh, encapsulate the entire season, the entire career of Mitchell Trubisky thus far, it's just disappointment. Um, on the other side, <coughs> excuse me, on the other side, uh, the Saints, Drew Brees looked fine. Uh, I still think that the Saints and the and the Green Bay Packers are going to be um, in the NFC Championship game. Uh, the defense is really, really good. I'm still not sold on Taysom Hill as, as the future uh, for this franchise. I think Jameis Winston probably has a better chance to be a more consistent quarterback um, and give you some more options than you continue to use Taysom Hill in the manner that you're using. But um, Saints look good. Uh, it was a boring game, I think. Probably, oh, the game was also broadcast by Nickelodeon, and I'm also I'm, I'm I'm kind of envious that I didn't watch that version of the game. I was watching um, the uh, the CBS version of the game. Uh, I'm kind I'm kind of I'm kind of upset that I got robbed of the opportunity to watch that Nickelodeon game because I feel like all the slime and graphics and the end zone probably would have that made that game a uh, a lot more enjoying than it actually a lot more enjoyable than it actually was but um yeah disappointing for Mitchell Trubisky very very disappointing um some closing thoughts on on some other games um good for Lamar Jackson getting the first uh, playoff win of his career it feels like it feels wrong to say that with how well Lamar Jackson has played. It feels like really like that's his first, that's his first playoff win of his career. It, it, it is the first playoff win of, of his career. I'm still not sold on the Ravens though, as a Super Bowl contender. Um, I think Tennessee could have won that game. Obviously 
The Ravens defense did a really good job of containing Derrick Henry. Of course, Derrick Henry just had a 2,000-yard rushing season but couldn't get more than 50 yards in that playoff game. So I don't know whether that's really the Ravens defense or if that's just Derrick Henry having a bad game. Um, Ryan Tannehill had an unfortunate interception late in the game. His receiver fell down. It kind of hit Marcus Peters right in the breadbasket. Um, that game could have gone to overtime. That game could have gone uh, a different way if that play happened differently. I feel like you could say that a lot of games, about a lot of games that happened this weekend. It was genuinely a very good super wildcard weekend. There were a lot of very close and entertaining games, but um, none more entertaining than the Bills versus the Colts, in my opinion. I thought the Bills versus the Colts was the best game of the weekend. Um, the Bills defeated the Colts 27-24. to And... I think most people's reaction to the game was, wow, the Bills are for real. Uh, excuse me. The Bills are for real. But my reaction coming out of the game was, wow, the Colts are going to be so good. The Colts are going to be uh, incredible next year, within the next two years. Um, you take a look at the young talent and what uh, Phillip Rivers has done for that roster, having just a veteran quarterback guide the team, a leader in the locker room. I am really excited for what the Indianapolis Colts can do in the next couple of years, especially if they draft well. Um, and that's got to be a very good situation for a rookie quarterback or a younger quarterback going into. Phillip Rivers probably has two to three more years left in him. I'd be very surprised if he retired this year. I think with as much pain and suffering as Philip Rivers has gone through in San Diego for the for for the first 16 years of his career, the fact that he's you know he sniffed the playoffs again and that he has a great team around him, a young team around him, I feel like he probably smells blood in the water at this point. He's reached the playoffs. He'll want to come back for another season or two. Um, the Colts have $58 million in cap space as well, so they have the ability to go get a couple of guys to really fill in the gaps with this team. And, of course, I believe do believe they have their first-round draft pick this year as well. So um, Colts are in a really good position to do some really incredible things in the future. And I'm just watching that game, and I'm I was really surprised at, at how well they handled the Bills' offense. Now, Josh Allen still played incredible. He's probably the most improved player in the AFC at the very least. I, I think people knew he was going to be good this year, but I don't think anybody saw this massive year coming for Josh Allen. Um, Stephon Diggs played well as well. Um, but if it weren't for the, the missed field goal by Rodrigo Blankenship uh, late in there in the third quarter, the Colts might have won that game. Uh, and you can bet that the Bills that Bills fans were very thankful that it was a uh, a 39-year-old Phillip Rivers that was throwing the Hail Mary at the end of the game and not a younger, more stronger and faster quarterback, say Kyler Murray. Sorry, that might open up some wombs, put some lemon, some, uh, lemon pledge into the open womb there, but... Um, yeah, I was really, really impressed with the Colts. Uh, they've got a great young group of players on offense that could be really, really nice for a younger quarterback to step into. I don't know if that quarterback is going to be Jacoby Brissett. He's not exactly young by uh, the terms that we all hold, but you know, if the Colts go and get a quarterback in the draft somewhere in the third to fifth round, somebody that they can groom over time, somebody that they feel comfortable with, um, or even the year following this, depending on how long Philip Rivers plays, you know they can set themselves up really well in the future. I'm, I'm excited for what's happening in Indianapolis. Oh, 
and I can't really forget Jonathan Taylor, who has exploded. We knew that he was going to be good. He was outstanding as a Wisconsin Badger. He was going to be a, a. He was probably one of the surefire pros that came out of that draft at the running back position. I believe that was the draft with uh, Dalvin Cook as well. Um. So really, really, really excited for Indianapolis. I think they're going to do great things next year. Obviously, it's it's kind of. It's kind of I don't want to say silly to say that this early. We haven't even gotten a Super Bowl win it for winner for this year, but I was really really impressed with the Colts and and the Bills coming out of that game shows me that they can win close games and I think they'll be fine moving forward. I still think that they are the only team in the AFC that can beat the Kansas City Chiefs and I think they have a very good opportunity to do so and go to the Super Bowl. But man, Indianapolis took it to them. I was extremely extremely impressed. Um, the final game I wanted to talk about was the Seahawks versus the Rams. Um, just a couple of thoughts on this. I don't see how the Rams are going to be able to beat the Packers next week with how busted up they are. Um, sure. Aaron Donald will be back. He'll probably be active. Cooper cup will be active, but, uh, the uh, reigning defensive player of the year with a couple of uh, broken ribs, I believe that's what his injury was. A couple of broken ribs. Him coming off of that injury makes Aaron Rodgers' life a hell of a lot easier. And with how Aaron Rodgers has been playing this year, he's probably the MVP. He's my pick for MVP. Um, with how Rodgers has been playing this year, I don't really see how the uh, the Rams' defense is going to be able to stop the Green Bay Packers most of the time. Like, they were able to... Uh, really stopped the Seattle Seahawks and sure 20 points is 20 points but in in an offensive league um, a, a league that has become more and more offense heavy over the past couple of years 20 points is almost like a, a what would have been 10 points a couple of years so um, you know the Rams really made the Seahawks look confused out of order which is just so unusual for a Pete Carroll coached offense especially with Russell Wilson at the helm uh, Jalen Ramsey uh didn't necessarily have as good of a game as he had earlier in the season, the two times that he played the Seahawks against DK Metcalf. But uh, Jalen Ramsey had a good game. The Rams by far have the best defense in the NFL. But the fact that Aaron Donald is going to be bruised and battered and not breathing down Aaron Rodgers' neck quite as hard as he would be if he was completely healthy, um, I think that gives the Rams the, um, or excuse me, that gives the Packers a bit of an edge uh, next week. And of course, the fact that Jared Goff is the quarterback. That's the other thing that, and kind of the bigger thing I think than the defense. The defense will probably be fine no matter what. I mean, it is the number one defense in the NFL. But uh, I have no faith in Jared Goff to be able to deliver a victory to the Los Angeles Rams. You know, you can argue well, maybe the benching or not. Would you even call it a benching? I mean, he was injured. I I guess him sitting out. Uh, for John Wofford, who, by the way, John Wofford, what, I hope he's okay. Uh, I assume that he's doing okay. He took a pretty nasty hit. He was in the hospital. Um, but I remember watching John Wofford, uh, in college. And I remember thinking well, that, wow, this kid can play on Sundays. And I'm glad that he got a little bit of a chance with the Los Angeles Rams. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out once he comes back and he's fully healthy. But, um, Jared Goff coming into the game led the team to a victory. I say the word led. It was really Cam Akers out of Florida State who led the team to a victory, close to 30 rushes for over 100 yards. Um, Akers, you know, I 
I've covered Florida State uh, in my in my time as a reporter, so I'm very familiar with Cam Akers, and I just I knew this kid was going to be a stud from the moment he stepped on the football field at Doe Campbell Stadium in Tallahassee. I'm very happy for Cam Akers. Glad he got to shine on the big stage like that, but um, not to take anything away from him, but it's really about Jared Goff. How well is he going to be able to deliver a performance? Because it's not exactly like he got benched. He was removed from the starting lineup for medical reasons, obviously his thumb. Um, so it's not like he's Jared Goff has had a complete mental reset, you know. I still think that Goff is lacking confidence. I feel like Goff is lacking a little bit of urgency. He seems like too much of a cool California kid at times. And uh, I just do not think that the Rams can go to Green Bay, especially in those temperatures, and uh, beat the Packers. I just I don't think it's going to happen. Um, that wraps up most of the wildcard games. Um, if I missed one of them, it's probably because either A, I didn't watch it, B, it wasn't all that interesting. Oh, uh, Tampa Bay, that's that's actually a really big one. I guess I just forgot about it. Tampa Bay versus Washington. Uh, Washington just proved what everybody thought to be true, and that's that Ron Rivera is one hell of a football coach. Um, and if you throw some bodies at, at Tom Brady, he can... He can definitely be vulnerable, and I think that even though the Tampa Bay offensive line did a really good job against Chase Young and the rest of the Washington football team defensive line, they're going to have some problems uh, against the Saints next week. Um, really good game for Washington to be able to come into the playoffs, a 6-10 and team, and rattle the cage and, and make some noise like they did. Um, Ron Rivera is going to have that team turned around once Alex Smith gets back. Uh, again, uh, Taylor Heineke had a, had a great game coming off the bench. I mean, who would have guessed that? Um, another really good football game, uh, one that I didn't get to watch as much, which is probably why I ended up forgetting about it. But um, Tampa Bay moves on to uh, face the Saints next week, and that's going to be a tough matchup for them. The Saints won the two previous matchups in the regular season. Very difficult to go 3-0, and get a series, uh, a season sweep, but uh, I think that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers probably didn't want to see New Orleans in the playoffs like this. Um, so with that, I think we've concluded all of the wildcard games. Um, Super wildcard weekend definitely didn't disappoint. A lot of really, really close games, a lot of exciting games, a lot to take away from it. Um, want to move on to the Deshaun Watson. And specifically, I saw a story by Chris Mortensen. It came out either Sunday or Saturday talking about potential trade destinations. And one of those trade destinations was the Miami Dolphins. Now, the media has this perception that the Dolphins may take another quarterback in the draft or may look for another quarterback elsewhere. Because Tua didn't necessarily have the most inspiring rookie season. Now, this this really irritates me um, because I I like Tua. I really do. There are some throws that he makes where it's like, well, how the hell did he fit that in there? Um, he seems to have the team around him. He seems to have the right attitude. And the, the the idea that the Miami Dolphins would take another quarterback after they just drafted Tua Tungavailoa um, with the fourth pick in the previous draft is is asinine to me. So the the thought 
or the or the, or the question of Deshaun Watson to the Dolphins is something that perked my ears a little bit because it's not like you're going to draft an unproven commodity drafting uh, maybe Justin Fields or Zach Wilson at three overall if the Dolphins were to do that to replace Tonga Viola. Name giving me a little bit of a, bit of a slip today. Um, you're not you're not drafting an unproven commodity. You're you're trading for Deshaun Watson, who, against all odds, and Bill O'Brien's fun world over there in Houston, was able to have a very impressive season without DeAndre Hopkins, without any real help at all. He had probably one of the best seasons he's had yet as a professional. So, for the Miami Dolphins to trade for Deshaun Watson, that would be something that, uh, man, I I have mixed feelings about it. Because it's like, it's Deshaun Watson. It's Deshaun Watson. He is so good in so many ass, uh, facets of the game. He's mobile. He's sturdy, for the most part. He, he's had some injury issues, but he he's not that injury prone. He's got a cannon for an arm. He knows how to lead. He's a fantastic player, but is that really worth flipping your locker room on its head and trading away your quarterback that you just got in the draft the previous year? Because don't make any don't make any nonsense about it. If Deshaun Watson is going anywhere, Houston's going to get a quarterback in return, whether the skill level is on the par or slightly below Deshaun Watson. That's the real question. So for Houston to to trade for Tua Tungavailoa, I'm going to be tripping on that name the entire day. We'll just say Tua for the sake of the show. I just don't know if trading for Watson is worth flipping your locker room on its head and trading away your young rookie quarterback who the locker room really seems to like. And... The thing with the Miami Dolphins, the thing that has always kept the Miami Dolphins back, apart from not really having a quarterback, I mean, growing up a Dolphins fan, we've gone through more quarterbacks since Dan Marino than, I don't know, I, I don't even know what kind of analogy to draw this, to, 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 to paint, uh, the, I don't know what picture to paint for you here. We've gone through a lot of quarterbacks, and most of them have been really, really bad, so to have Ryan Fitzpatrick and Tua in the same locker room is is a blessing. But apart from the quarterback situation, it's always been a culture thing with the Miami Dolphins. The Miami Dolphins have had a horrible culture for almost two decades now. It hasn't been a winning culture. It's been mostly dysfunctional. And the fact that Brian Flores has been able to instill this culture within the Miami Dolphins is probably the most impressive thing about Brian Flores to me so far. He's built a team that wants to play for him. He's built a team that competes hard every week. He's built a team that has young, talented players. And it's like, damn, do you really want to risk all of that by trading away a young quarterback that everybody likes to bring in a sure, fire-proven quarterback? 
it's just like, I don't know, that's so tough, because I, I guess it depends on where your values lie. Are you a are you a, a business's business person, or are you a chemistry matters type of person? And I'm a chemistry matters type of person, I guess, at the end of the day. I would feel absolutely horrible for Tua, sending him to formally, I guess, Bill O'Brien's fun world. I guess it's um, Nick Casterios's fun world now. Um, which is a tough job for him to fall into, right? Um, but I just don't know that I would do it and risk the wrath of the locker room having traded for Deshaun Watson, sending out a kid that a lot of people like, um, and and potentially foo-barring the chemistry that has been so difficult to build for the Miami Dolphins for so, so long. And that's really my main thing that's just making me so conflicted about this. Because as I said, it's Deshaun Watson. It's not a draft pick. It's not an unproven commodity. It's Deshaun Watson that you'd be trading for. But you're also getting rid of this kid that has a lot of potential that a lot of people like. Um, I, I just don't know. And of course, you know, we haven't really necessarily talked about the, the asking price to get a player like Deshaun Watson. I think the Dolphins would at the very least have to give up their number three pick for Watson. Uh, they'd have to give up their either one of their first round picks. I believe they drafted three and 18. They'd have to give Houston one of those draft picks. And it's like, God, with the way that the team played this year, missing the playoffs at 10 and six, which the AFC was historically good this year. Missing the playoffs at 10 and 6. Chemistry is right. You know, team seems to be rallying around Flores. You if you're if, if I'm the Dolphins, I want those draft picks. So to be able to be able to trade for Watson, you'd have to give up one or both of those draft picks. And I just don't know if I'm willing to part ways with that. So you would and not to mention Tua, right? So you would have to part a ways with your draft pick. You would have to part ways with your quarterback that you drafted at number four last year for Deshaun Watson. And again, I hate to sound like a broken record. It's Deshaun Watson, proven quarterback, coming off one of the best years of his career in an absolute hellhole of a franchise that are the Houston Texans. I just don't know. I just don't know that I would do it. And just a funny side note before we move on, you know, it's it's funny that it's the Houston's and the it's it's the Texans and the Dolphins because uh, the trade uh, Larry Lee Tunsil to the to the Houston Texans is actually what enabled them the Dolphins to get this good of a pick. So I I feel like just on standing principle there, it'd kind of be weird to give that pick back to the Houston Texans and giving away your quarterback that you drafted last year. I just. I, I, I feel very bittersweet about it, but if I if I if you held a gun to my head and say it's either Deshaun Watson or it's Tua Tungavaiola with two first round draft picks, I would pick Tua Tungavaiola with two first round draft picks. Um, the other the other rumor to come out of the weekend was that Jacksonville, um, or rather not Jacksonville. I mean Jacksonville's involved, but. Uh, the other rumor coming out of the weekend is that Urban Meyer is preparing a staff for the Jacksonville Jaguars if the Jacksonville Jaguars decide to hire Urban Meyer. And I I just am not sold on Urban Meyer as an NFL football coach. 
it's not that Urban Meyer is a bad coach. It's not that, you know, he isn't incredibly smart when it comes to football. It's just that the college level and the NFL are two completely different beasts. And we've seen that a bunch when it comes to uh, college coaches making the jump to the NFL. Namely, the big one is Nick Saban, who was the Miami Dolphins head coach for a season before he went back to Alabama and begun the dynasty that is Alabama Crimson Tide football. Um, it, it wasn't a good fit for Saban for the same reasons I don't think it'll be a good fit for Urban Meyer, and that's because you're not dealing with young kids. You're dealing with men, and the tone is different that you take. The, the way that you teach and you coach is different. And you, you, you're dealing with, again, grown men, grown personalities. And, of course, the argument would be, well, Trevor Lawrence is still a kid. He, he's coming into a, a, a decent enough situation with the Jacksonville Jaguars. I certainly wouldn't want tre- to be Trevor Lawrence and heading to New York. He dodged a bullet with that, by the way. Um, the argument would be, well... If, if, if there's anybody that would know how to handle a rookie quarterback, it's somebody that has experience handling quarterbacks at that age. Even though Trevor Lawrence is mature, he's smart, he um, he's wise beyond his years, he's calm-headed for the most part. You know, he's probably a most mature, one of the more mature prospects that you can get, especially at number one overall. I just... I don't know if I would do it. Like I'm not sold on college coaches coaching in the NFL yet. Um, and it's, it's Urban Meyer kind of waves a red flag in my head because of just how he's left programs kind of just at will and then popped up somewhere else. It feels like he has commitment issues. Obviously, he won a championship in Florida in 08, went to Ohio State, won a championship in 2014 with Ohio State. And then... He, he, he just kind of retires, you know, it, it's always retirement for, for Urban Meyer. And it's just like that for me, maybe it's being petty, but that raises commitment issues for me, you know? And of course, you know, if you ever talk to coaches and pros, it's like, it's always hard to leave the game that you love so much. You know, you want to come back, you miss it every day, but it's just like, ah, I think Urban Meyer's probably pretty okay, you know, with that, with how things have turned out for him. I mean, two, two, multiple championships uh, with multiple different schools, and, you know, obviously the NFL might present a new challenge to Urban Meyer, and that might um, revitalize his love of the game, give him some more passion, you know, uh, give him renewed motivation to do something like this, but it's just like, I don't. I'm just not sold that he a is going to be able to coach the talent in the NFL uh, just because it's so different from teaching 18, 19, 20 year olds. You're coaching men, you're coaching, you know, anywhere from 21 to, to 40, you know? And also the fact that just when you look at the history of what urban Meyer has done, yes, he's successful. Yes. He's a football mind. Yes. He is somebody that has delivered results but it's like is that going to translate you know it is are you going to get results or is he just going to be there for a couple of years and then go back into retirement and 
You've muddied your chance with uh, generational talent, uh, talent with Trevor Lawrence. Now, obviously, it's the, the relationship is not just Urban Meyer, Trevor Lawrence. It's going to be the staff that Urban Meyer brings with him. It depends on who the staff is that he's rumored to be developing for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Depends on who that staff is, but I don't know. I feel like you should... If you're if you're the Jacksonville Jaguars, you're a small market team, you should not fall in love with the big name just because it's the big name. I feel like there may be better options somewhere else. Um and again, maybe that's just me being petty, you know, but you know, the argument for Urban Meyer is that, you know, he's a college coach, he knows how to handle a college kid. Trevor Lawrence can turn around the future or turn turn around the fate of the franchise. If he's everything that we think he's going to be, so why not bring in a college coach to coach a uh, essentially still a college quarterback? Uh, what what is going to be a rookie quarterback? I just I just don't trust that the commitment is there for Urban Meyer. I have to see the commitment from Urban Meyer to believe that this is going to be a beneficial relationship between the Jaguars and Urban Meyer. Uh, and finally, let me see. Let me see what time we're at today. Um, finally, just some closing thoughts on the national championship game uh, before we get on out of here. Uh, national championship game. It's going to be extremely tough to stop Alabama. I mean, Alabama probably has one of the better teams that Nick Saban has ever had. I mean, you just—it's it, so complete. Um, and I think the, the, the missing piece of the puzzle that has been plugged in that really makes this team so good is Mac Jones. Now, recently, Alabama has had great quarterbacks, Jalen Hurts, Tua Tungavailoa. Um, but previously, before that, the quarterback play at Alabama was kind of just above average. You know, A.J. McCarron, um, uh, McElroy. You know, it, it was just okay, and you know Alabama relied on the running game and the and the defense to kind of win them championships. But my God, if this Alabama offense isn't the most impressive thing in college football this year, uh, obviously you've got Heisman winner uh, Devonta Smith, who is going to be an absolute stud in the NFL. Um, he's got speed, he's got size. He can bulk up a little bit more uh, if you're if 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 I'm you know crafting the perfect wide receiver, but he's gonna be outstanding. Uh, Najee Harris is is just as good as advertised. and Mac Jones has been playing really, really good court uh, uh, football at the quarterback position. And with with how, the two teams played in the semifinal games, obviously Alabama playing Notre Dame, Clemson uh, playing, or excuse me, Ohio State playing against Clemson. I just don't know if Ohio State is going to be able to keep up with Alabama. Now, Justin Fields had one of the most impressive games, I think, in the history of the sport at the collegiate level. Six touchdowns, and that's after taking a absolute shot to the ribs. So the kid's playing with potentially broken or fractured ribs, or, or at least he, he's got to be pretty sore around the mix section. He he's, t- takes a nasty hit and continues to put on the performance against what many people perceive to be either the best team in the country or the second best team in the country. Um, 
I just don't I don't think that Justin Fields can duplicate that performance, especially with how injured he is. I don't think he can duplicate that and keep up with Alabama. I think this game is going to be an absolute shootout. Um, both defenses are um, Alabama defense is lesser is less talented than the Ohio State defense is. But I still think that the offenses are going to run this game. I think it could be a very high-scoring game. Um, or, you know, the, the opposite could be true as well. You know, the defenses might show up and completely shut down but uh, each other. But I think that this is probably going to be a higher-scoring game. And I just don't know if Ohio State is going to be able to keep up with the offensive production that is Alabama this season. Um, as if Justin Fields was 100% healthy, I said, this game is probably evenly matched as evenly matched as you could get. Um, say what you want about the college football playoff as a whole. I think the two best teams in the country are playing in the national championship, uh, this year. Um, I just, I don't think that Ohio State can be able to keep up with Alabama. Now, uh, Ohio State has really great cornerbacks, really great safeties. Um, so they may be able to neutralize Devontae Smith, but then, of course, you got Jalen Waddle as well. It's such a multifaceted offense, and it's such a strong group of players. Obviously, you want Ryan O'Day. He could be something, I forget the exact number, but he could be in a, a select number of coaches that wins a championship in his first two seasons. And on the other side, you've got Nick Saban, who uh, has so many rings, he doesn't know what to do with them. I just don't think that, uh, again, I, I don't think that Ohio State can keep up with Alabama. That's printed. Printed on the, uh, the pressers. That's the final word. That's the final line. Um, and I believe that is it. Thank you all so much for tuning into the first episode of Hard Headed Sports. Of course, you can catch these uh, episodes on YouTube as well. It's currently available only on Spotify. We're going to get to work on getting the podcast out on Google Podcasts, getting the podcast out on uh, Apple Podcasts as well. So show is going to be on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Um, we'll, we'll, hopefully those will be all set up by the end of the week. Um so hopefully we're, we'll be fully operational by that time. Obviously, next show is going to be Wednesday. So uh, we're going to have a great show on Wednesday. You're going to have a lot of basketball to talk about as football kind of dies down this week. And I really just am so excited for what this podcast will hold for me personally. And I hope that we can have some awesome discussions along the way and um, create a, 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 a nice community together of people who love sports, love talking about sports. Um, I'm just really excited about the future of this podcast, and I thank you for watching. I thank you for listening wherever you are. Um, have a great day, everybody. My name is Nick Ryan. Thank you so much for listening to the Hard-Headed Sports, ca uh, Hard -headed Sports Podcast. I will see you all very soon, and we're out of here. <laughs>